I am absolutely delighted to announce our guest, introduce our guest. Today we have Caroline Stockdale, who is the Chief People and Communications Officer at First Solar. Caroline has spent over 20 years in a variety of industries and a variety of job functions from finance to HR to communications. Caroline, it's wonderful to have you on the show. How are you? Thank you. Wonderful to be here, and I appreciate it. Wonderful. So, Caroline, why don't we just jump right into it? Um, I have looked at your bio, and you have a tremendous amount of experience across many, many industries, primarily within the people and talent area. Can you share a little bit about how you uh, ended up where you are at First Solar, your journey? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it's interesting because often I get asked, what's your career advice? And I typically will answer, I don't have any. <laughs> because um, what I'd say is my career path was never plotted. Um, it's how opportunities sort of arose and, and, and I stood up to greet them, I guess. Um, I think often you can be too planful with it and therefore miss out on some pretty neat things. Uh, so yes, I mean, I, I started off in the UK, funnily enough, in retail as a commercial management trainee straight out of school. Uh, thought that's what I was going to do. Realized that the larger operations I got involved in that you needed to understand finance <laughs> or you wouldn't know one end of an operating plan from another. So went and qualified as a British chartered accountant and somewhere in the midst of all this got picked up by GE in Europe who said, you've got this interesting mix of sort of finance, commerce, you know. And um, that was the time when they were doing an acquisition every two weeks in Europe. So it was crazy running between due diligences, post-acquisition integrations, everything else. And uh, then they pulled me over to the U.S. to do this on a global basis, and sort of the rest is history. Um, so I sort of grew up at General Electric and then never thought I'd leave, but got a neat opportunity with American Express to help them turn around their financial services arm. Uh, did that. Uh, Ken Chenault then decided he didn't like the, the risk profile of what is now Ameriprise, so took it through a spinoff. Um, and then uh, Meriprise was a domestic company. I'd sort of always done global and got a call from Edgar Brown from Junior. Who, and three hours later, he's a very persuasive, gracious, humble and wonderful man. So three hours later, I was saying, of course, I've always wanted to be in rock and roll and joined Warner Music Group. <laughs> and that was a fascinating experience because it was at a time when the music industry was going through radical change. So iTunes came along and their uh, operating margins evaporated overnight, right? They could no longer really make money on selling CDs or, or anything that was that was uh, vinyl or CD-based, nor could they really make meaningful money on, on recorded music. So they had to completely rethink the model. So we came up with this 360 model, which was every aspect. If you, if you hire a baby artist, you'll sign them up for everything, merchandising, recording, you know, touring, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was a great time to be in that industry. And I, I've i had a relationship with Edgar for many, many years. Once once we were done sorting that out, I moved into some of his operating businesses. Uh, he, he was venture capitalist in spare time, as you are if you're Edgar. Uh, so did some operating roles uh, and then got the chance to go to Medtronic in uh, Minnesota. Um, 
to be their global CHRO. Uh, again, at a time when they were globalizing, going through change, took them through a CEO transition, that Edgar called up and said, you're in the Midwest. What are you doing in the Midwest? <laughs> um, you know, and I need your help with some of my businesses again. So back I went. Um, and after a while, I gave up trying to do sensible jobs because I had sort of various CEOs who needed help. Ran my own business for 10 years. Never thought I'd go back into corporate. But I have a passion for fighting climate change. I think if you rank all the things that uh, you could spend your time doing that are worthwhile, there are many, many meaningful things. However, if we don't have a planet left for our kids, <laughs> none of those really matter much. And so... So this is one where I, I just sort of went to talk to these guys and uh, was really impressed with what they were trying to do, their sense of purpose, and um, you know felt I could help. And so, so I've been here now for four years. It's an amazing company. The people who work at First Solar truly are purpose-driven, um, and that's what gets them out of bed every morning, and that makes a huge difference to a company's culture. So First Solar, to give you a little bit of background on us, is uh, the largest utility-scale PV solar company in the Western Hemisphere. So our direct competition is China, and uh, really we have a different stance, I think, from, from almost anybody else in, in that we call it responsible solar. There is a lot of solar out there that is dirty solar, which means it's either made in heavy coal regions um, with lots of pollutants, and or there has been a widespread use of forced labor. Uh, you might have heard the Uyghurs, you know, some of the other um, news that, that's come out about that. And so we've been a loud voice against forced labor. And we have a vertically integrated supply chain, which means that we have clean solar without any of that. Well, Carolyn, I'm sensing a pattern in your career journey where you enter an industry at the time of major disruption within that industry and with what's happening right now with electrification and the clean energy revolution, um, it, it really seems like a, a, a fitting destination where you are now based on uh, where you have been. Um, I know few companies that can say our, our direct competitor uh, is not a company, but it is an actual republic, in this case, China. Uh, I had no idea the scale uh, of first uh, solar. Um, and and I want to ask a question about, and you touched upon it briefly, and that is that people at first solar are really purpose and mission driven. And so how does that either make it easier or harder with shaping a, a company's culture. And I expect you're, you're very much an architect when it comes to that. Yeah. It, 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 from, from my standpoint, it, it's, it creates a glue for people, right? They share a common purpose. And, and that really, I think, helps. So, so one of the things I describe is uh, we, we, there's not as much politics. People don't sweat the small stuff in the same way because we're all aligned around why we're here and what it is we're trying to do. And that's a higher purpose than, than some of the, the small stuff that people can otherwise get, get wrapped around, right? Doesn't mean to say it doesn't happen. Of course it does sometimes. But I'd say that's minimized because people have this sense of higher purpose. Look, we, we really have to get this done because it matters. 
right? This is legacy stuff for generations to come. So, so it's a tremendous glue. It is, um, it's also, you know, we have cool values that go with it, which are accountability. So we really own what we do. Um, agility, obviously this is a, we affectionately call it the solar coaster, Spencer, <laughs> you know, it's a wild ride. And so agility is key, very fast changing dynamic environment, uh, highly innovative, um, and collaboration and collaborating across all those different functions. And, but I, but I absolutely purpose helps the culture without doubt. But I, I would think Caroline, that you may be feeling like you are cresting this wave in terms of the momentum of the, you know, clean energy agenda, both domestically as well as internationally. I think there have been uh, some really key uh, political victories uh, recently. Um, can you speak to your involvement, perhaps from a you know culture leader standpoint, when it comes to you know writing in this case really good external news, or in some cases really hard external news? Yeah. Yep, and we've been through both. <laughs> and, um... Again, that sense of purpose binds us and our determination to succeed, right, for all the right reasons, um, because it matters. And uh, what I'd say, if you know, if you look at something like the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which has, has changed the landscape considerably, we obviously have been in expansion mode in the United States, uh, particularly in order to meet the increase in demand. From a culture standpoint, that means that you have to be careful you don't lose your culture as you're swiftly adding more associates into the mix. And so we look at this uh, data-driven as we are with everything else. Um, and so, so we're able to kind of look at that risk by understanding, if you think of a simple traffic light system, um, you can assess if somebody is fully into their role and fully into the culture. Right, that that call that a green. So somebody who's long service with First Solar or has been with First Solar at least a year or two is likely to be sitting in that zone. As you add people, anybody who comes into a job uh, new is going to sit in the yellow bucket, right? Because they've got to get up speed with the job, they've got to learn the culture, they've got to learn the business. You can look using a simple traffic light system at what your risk is of that culture escaping from you, because as it starts to creep up. Um, in the yellow zone, you know that you have to pay specific attention to really inculcating people in that culture. So aware of that risk and monitoring that risk, we've completely transformed our onboarding process to make sure that we can inculcate that culture through onboarding and stick with our new hires over a series of uh, 12 months in different ways. We've introduced different programs that we call connector programs and learning advocates to give those new hires somebody who's established in the organization to kind of mentor them specifically on those aspects. So there's lots of things that I believe you proactively have to do to safeguard those cultural anchors. Fascinating. Jess, is this sparking any uh, questions with you? Yeah, it, it definitely does. You know, I think um, I get to interview a lot of these founders who've grown from zero over a billion and they went from, you know, a dozen staff to a couple of thousand staff real fast, right? And I think they, you know, 
offline after the shows or, you know, some of them I become friends with and we text and have calls outside of the interview. And this is something that is a concern for them. And they bring up the like, Hey, we've grown so fast. How do we not let this get away from us? I, I love your visual, your, your visual system there of that stoplight system. Uh, um, I think my next question is thinking about learning and development specifically, you know, it, it's such a force multiplier of not necessarily always hiring new, but upskilling the folks that you have and, and new capabilities and things like this. And, and yet so much of corporate learning has a bad reputation of, you know, uh, of not producing the results they could. Right. And so I think one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the show was you, you have such a track record of like partnering with the CEOs, like not being that HR or learning development, often some silo disconnected, like you're very, uh, you bring such a perspective of how do we increase profits? How do we grow a business? Not just how do we make people happy? Can you talk about balancing, balancing those things and adding on the like, Hey, we need to do training that people come out with better capabilities, not just people didn't leave the PowerPoint. A hundred percent. Look, I mean, again, here I'm completely data driven, right? And first of all, you have to understand the business you're in and what its needs are. And solar is very interesting because you have to think of it more as a high-tech, highly innovative environment because it's all about how do you get more energy efficiency out of the, the modules, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have a really interesting mix of associates in the business. We have a huge number of R&D associates. You know, these are your triple, quadruple PhD guys uh, running around trying to figure out why something does it, when you stick it in an oven, why it doesn't with other materials, et cetera. Uh, we have uh, lots and lots of engineers. We are industry 4.0, so even in our manufacturing facilities, it's associates combined with solar bots, right? So, so think of that kind of environment. There are very rare skills within our business. You know, you don't find many people who know what they're doing with a whole bunch of the things that sit on the periodic table, right? So, so we, we first of all, it's understanding your organization. What have you got? And um, in a completely non-judgy way, every associate matters, but these roles are all very different. And we have some that are absolutely critical to the business. So the first thing that we did, by the way, I'm a nine box heretic in that I don't believe in any of that. Um, the reason is is pretty straightforward. I don't understand why you ever would stick a salesperson, HR person, finance person, manufacturing operator in the same box and compare them. The skill sets are completely different. It's nonsense. Um, and it's an entirely internally focused exercise that, that produces not a lot. Except, you know, well, maybe this person's high potential. And then there's typically no lasting actions that come out of that. What, what we do is understand what the critical skills are in each area of the business. So if, if you're looking at it from a business standpoint, you understand where all your critical skills are, how they line up for each of the functions. Secondly, you can now measure that. Okay. Where are we really strong in these skills and where are we gapping? And so you can do a squad analysis organizationally. Thirdly, the associate then benefits because the associate says, okay, here are my critical skills. Here's where I'm strong. Here's where I need to go, you know, learn up um, and upskill myself. And oh, by the way, now I can map career paths to that. So, so if I'm an associate sitting in a job in uh, manufacturing engineering and I have the aspiration to get into R&D, I can see the critical skills associated with those roles. I know my critical skills, 
I know the gap, therefore, that I have to fill if I want to get into that job that I aspire to. And combined with that, then we have the first Solar Academy that, again, maps to those critical skills, right? And out of that SWOT analysis every year, we're able to understand as a company overall, so at the highest level, where are we strong and where are we gapping? So if we're gapping in something like, I don't know, problem-solving skills, we're able to push that out to all the associates in the organization and then measure the next year if we've managed to upskill in those areas where we were where we were missing. That help as a, as a broad swap? Yeah, it, it does. I, but you only generated more questions for me. So now, so like, let's take, let's take sales, right? A lot of CEOs, a lot of C- CEOs care about how good is our sales team because nobody else has a job if nothing got sold, right? So can, can we go through um, maybe just even slightly more granularly? Like, what does that look like for you guys? This is a Google sheet. Do you have a custom app? Like the, the tracking, the gaps, the like, can, can you give us like a, a little more of that the behind the curtain there? Yeah, well, we've just, you know, just because we didn't have enough going on, we've also been a, through a systems transition <laughs> from Workday to Oracle. So so this is actually now all loading into Oracle. We have an integrated talent module. So, so if I'm a leader, I can go into that. I can look at my, uh, if I'm, you know, head of sales, I can look at the entire sales organization, what that composition is from a critical skill standpoint and from a SWOT analysis standpoint. And I can look to individual teams within that and all the way down to individuals to see, you know, so you've got that complete build-up picture. Um, it also helps you from a talent acquisition standpoint, right? Because you can see where your strengths are accumulated and you've got some decisions to make on the gaps. How many of those can we train up fast enough? And do I need to make some strategic acquisitions of people um, to to really create strength in a certain area where I'm gapping today? Um so, so that they can see that complete picture in an integrated talent module. If I'm an associate, I can go in, I can see all the open job opportunities in First Solar. I can go in to my function or another function, look at the entire career map uh, that's open to me um, to, to navigate my way through the organization. I'll hand it back to Spencer for some questions, but maybe my last one there is, so like, let's talk these, stay on the salespeople one. Uh, as far as the measurements, is this their is this their manager? Was this the people over in training? Like, who who is helping? Like, who gets to put it onto that dashboard? What somebody's skill levels are? Hundred percent. So so it's a partnership all the way, right? So so we work with each team to identify the critical skills in the first place. Those we then load up. They then will go through and do the assessment. We'll work with them. We'll help them all the way. Um, we then will do that roll up on a global basis for the entire company and the sub roll ups to get the data back out to them so they understand their organization, how that fits into the overall picture of First Solar. Um, and then the LDT work, team work to make sure that we're curating the right learning um, that will address what we need to address in every part of the organization. So. Caroline, you used a word that I've had a really hard time getting out of my mind, and that is heretic. That is heretic. Uh, and so, from from one, from one heretic to another, um, uh, here's a question. Uh, and admittedly, there's a lot in this question, so take it in whatever direction you want. I'm I'm just thinking about your journey. Um, American Express, GE, uh, Warner Music, Metronic, for Solar, and you've been at this for over 20 plus years. Um, what are some of the 
innovations within the uh, uh, talent and performance domain? Uh, and then what are the things that maybe haven't changed that should? Yeah. Look, I, I mean, I think, I think uh, the, the HR function historically has been fairly slow to move on some things, right? And gets wrapped around a process instead of coming at it from understanding the business and thinking what is relevant and necessary for this business to succeed. Right. I, I mean, you can get lost in the, the quagmire of here's how you do performance acceleration, here's how you do talent, you know, here's this and that, without stopping to think, what does this business need? What's relevant for this kind of business? The answer is not cookie cutter for any of these businesses. It can depend to, to, to Jess's point. If you're a startup, right, there's a whole different way I come at that. Um, but but so, so, so get there first. And, you know, for, for First Solar, for example, be, I, I, to identify those truly critical roles is absolutely key. So I'll, I'll give you an example of when that, that, that really came into play was during the pandemic and the post-pandemic, what was it called? Great Resignation, Talent Tsunami, you know, a thousand different names for it. We were able to really hone in and go, we got to have our arms around these big time and, and uh, did that. And so, so our attrition was nothing like the external market, nothing, right? So you're able to really hone in and understand what you have to do for the different types of talent that you have in the business. It, I think you've always got to understand and, and look at, is what I'm doing relevant, right? Is it relevant to the business? And have I got pull or am I just pushing? Um, there are plenty of indicators that you will get as to whether people are getting this or they're not. Now, that doesn't mean it's all plain sailing, right? And they're going to pull immediately. You have to do a lot of educating along the way and let people learn and find out how this is going to help. Um, but but there comes a point where, you know, it tips over the edge and they go, oh, yeah, I totally get this. This is cool. <laughs> so the doubting Thomases go away and they start to really leverage it. And then when you really know that it's relevant is when they start to make it their own and take it in directions beyond what was initially anticipated, right? Um, because that way it, it becomes part of the fabric and it grows with the business um, and, and continues to meet its needs in different ways. So uh, this next question, I, I, I think, speaks to what you've shared at a 30,000-foot level. Um, I, I see that you've been widely recognized for many innovative practices and initiatives, and I, I heard a term that I want to double-click on, and that is Solar Academy. So t tell us li a little bit about Solar Academy. For the Solar Academy. Look, I, I, um, <laughs> I've walked into many organizations where there's just a, uh, you know, takeaway menu of learning. And um, now it's very hit or miss when it's done that way, right? Because not all of that learning is relevant to what the company needs to move forward. So, so to me, there's a lot of waste in that. The idea of having a first solar academy is that you can get very specific down different verticals of the business. Again, what engineers need is different from what research and development needs. What an individual contributor needs is different from what a people leader needs. There are for sure core common critical learning that you're going to have for the company that is part of that cultural glue, that is the way we lead, that is the way we do business. And you're going to have specificity around some of the unique 
areas in the business and what they do. And so having an academy that makes it easy for associates um, and leaders to navigate. So, so I know if I'm an engineer and I'm an individual contributor, here's a whole bunch of stuff that is going to be relevant to me. Um, being able to guide people down those different paths so that they get the relevant, appropriate learning that will help upskill them as fast as possible is, to my mind, important to be able to do. If you just have this massive learning, I don't think that's as effective. Yeah. So let me use another of your terms. I love it. Uh, triple and quadruple PhDs. And so you likely have an embarrassment of riches of highly talented, highly skilled individuals. Um, and so uh, just a question out of curiosity, um, is it harder for these individuals and these teams to realize that they do need continuous learning, or is it just the other way around where they are learning junkies and they really want more and more of this? And and how might First Solar's, you know, talent profile, you know, differ from the other companies that you've worked at as it relates to how much uh, uh, learning and development uh, we provide based on the, the talent profile that already exists within the organization. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, my view on that is I think everybody wants to grow, right? It's rare that you come across people who are like, yeah, that's, you know, that's it. I'm done. I'll just, I'll just stay doing the same thing every day. Um, and so I, I think, you, you know, again, it's back to that curation because R&D uh, is our innovation hub. And so, um, yes, absolutely voracious learners, but then so are our engineers, right? These guys who are inventing different tools, who are doing this, that, and the other. So, so I'd say we have a, a um, strong appetite for learning in the business, it, you know, and we, we stress that continuous learning is so important. It prevents us from making the same mistakes that we've made in the past. And in fact, we leverage something called lessons learned. So, so we're constantly doing lessons learned on different things that we, you know, whether we've launched a new series in, in modules, we've done this, that, and we take the lessons out of that. And we use those lessons learned in the business as part of that education, right? So it, so it really reinforces that continuous learning cycle. Um, and that we're always doing that and questioning hey, you know, we got this outcome, what could we have done differently? Are the, you know, might we, you know, if we'd done this, could we have gotten that? And, and taking that and, and, and putting it into the business as learning. So, so important to have that learning culture and to create it and perpetuate it. I would think that as the um, clean energy revolution heats up and no pun intended there, but, you know, as more and more um, industries converge, um, there will be an increasingly competitive war for talent. Um, where are you sourcing your talent now and how do you think that might change going forward? Yeah, I mean that's that's an interesting question. I, I, it's always a again. Some of these are very rare skills, right? So it's always a competitive market in that sense. And in fact, uh, one of the most competitive markets at the moment is on hourly workers, um, who are few and far between. So many left the workforce during the pandemic. Um, so, so each 
segment of the population has a different profile, if you like, from a talent standpoint. And, and clearly, we have a very broad swath from which we we will uh, recruit. So we have everything from the academic domain, right? Um, scientists coming out of different colleges. And, you know, Spencer, you may have some. <laughs> we might come poach, you know. Um, so, so we really go all the way from... Um, academic environments through to some of the, the you know the big blue chip companies that are in in um semiconductor whatever it may be the dells of the world the ge's of the world um all the way through to startups um uh, you know given this broad swath of of skills that, that we knit together into first solar and so we also look at how do we uh, create good feeder programs so so one of those is working with the military we have a very healthy number of veterans in the business and we work closely um, with the military um, to to bring in that talent you find a lot of great engineers uh, in the army and in the armed forces uh, etc etc so we bring them in and now it's neat because we have veterans who've been with us for years they can help an incoming veteran for whom it's their first transitional job out of the military because they've managed to do it successfully and so they understand what that's like right so 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 there's all sorts of different pathways that we create in for talent and then we work hard to keep it right providing them with career progression and and learning and growth and and a company where they can actually make a difference in the world yeah, yeah. I, I love how you have this uh, formal or informal uh, buddy system based on shared experience or shared identity. It's that's wonderful. J Jess, how about you? Any any uh, thoughts, questions on your end? Yeah, um, I kind of want to go back to your Warner Music days because you know where the entertainment industry was having such a transition of of their their margins were changing. I mean, you look right now. Here we are, summer 2023, and you know the Writers Actors Guild is on strike. You know, potentially, uh, you know, there's all the everything going on with the Screen Actors Guilds. You know, actors, and there's you know there's some very legitimate angst about the way the pie is being split, and it's gone on long enough. There's you know there's likely to be some sort of a change. I mean, maybe not, but uh, the end of the summer might be. So I talk to people who produce hundred million dollar movies this month who say like this might be the biggest change in fifteen years, right? And so people strategy and trainings and things are you know if things change things got things got to change. So I guess my question for you is, you know, leaders in the entertainment industry who are who are realizing like hey the the margins all sorts of things might really go a different direction than they've been going for you know entire careers for certain people. What kind of mindset would you have for folks who are, who are whether it's talent acquisition, whether it's retraining people they've got, whether it's thinking about growing the business in a new way because those different margins don't exist anymore? What kind of a mindset would you have for those leaders that you would encourage them to embrace or, or tactics? Yeah. Again, you have to think about your business. So, so you know, with Warner, you, you have so many creative people. Creative people are different in their approach and their thought process. So, so you know, um, it, if I come in with a whole bunch of process terms, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna get, take Six Sigma and I'm gonna look at how we're paying artists, I'm gonna do this out there and clean it up, you, you'll, that's not gonna work. <laughs> that's not a way to 
to bring people along with you. So you have to think of an approach that will um, inspire what their passion is. And, and in the music industry, it was you know making music. It's a it's an artist's songs are are a whole cultural. Um, manifestation in themselves right and it's really meaningful and that's their sense of purpose and where their passion is and what they want to do what you have to do is help them understand how what what where you need to shift to is going to perpetuate and allow that to continue and even grow in different ways right and and get their help therefore in helping you to get there through the change curve that you're going to have to go through um and so, so again, it's finding that common ground and bringing people along rather than coming in and saying, we're going to do this, 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 and here's what's going to change. Because you'll lose some of your best talent that way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I love your answer, but I'm also laughing on the inside because it's like, <clears throat> I feel so like I, because I get to interview so many different kinds of experts, it's, it's amazing to me the different flavors of the same principles that work over and over. Like as you're, as you're talking there, what I'm hearing is what's in it for them, speak their language, try to solve their problems in life. And it's, it's like the old Dale Carnegie thing. Like you can have almost anything you want in life, as long as you're willing to help other people get what they want first. And like what you're saying makes so much sense of like, speak their language. What do they, you know, tap into that passion, tap into love, tap in why this is their entire life and figure out how they can get, figure out how they can get more of what they're looking for that's naturally going to turn into success for you. And you always have to be questioning yourself and curious, right? So so I'll give you a good example from Warner. Um, performance management. So this was, I don't know, what, 15 years ago, something like that. So so it was the same old annual process and blah, 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 which when you looked at it and, and nobody was using it properly. And so, so then I don't go, well, you have to use it. I go, why? And start digging in. It turns out it's completely irrelevant to the music business. So think about it. If you are an AR guy, you may sign Madonna. Phenomenal. So what am I going to do then? I'm going to go, oh, okay, you had a great year. You signed Madonna. Congratulations. Here's your, you, you know, uh, next year you may not, so you might not sign anybody else like that for two, three, four, five years. So, so am I going to ding you for that? No, it's nonsense, right? That's not a way you can assess performance in the music industry. So again, it was like, well, let's get rid of that. It's complete nonsense. Why are we rating people? Why are we wasting time? Which by the way, that's an entirely rear view process. Think about it. You know, if you're going to sit there and go, well, what did you do all year? Who cares? It's done. It's gone. Right. You're not going to affect change that way. What matters is just in time so that you can actually help somebody change the trajectory going forward. And so, so that's why I advocate for you. You got to have at least a quarterly cycle, right? That should be the biggest gap, biggest gap, 12 weeks. Also helps those conversationally adverse leaders have to have a conversation at least four times a year with whomever they're leading. And, and providing really meaningful feedback that can, can help an associate change their trajectory. There's no point telling me at the end of the year, well, Caroline, you had five goals. You screwed up three of them, two were fine. I can do nothing about it. Tell me in time to get these other ones on track. It, all buoys rise together, right? You help the business then rise. Yeah. Maybe my last follow-up on this one is um, thinking about advising leaders in these creative businesses, entertainment, music, you know, when they have to balance the like, hey, we need to make money for investors. We need to produce a product for the customer. And we have to keep these crazy artists happy. I, as an art school dropout, I feel like I call myself crazy artist, right? So 
this idea of like, what did you feel like was really helpful as you're, you know, being the internal consultant to these leaders who are handling, you know, trying to make internal people decisions with the, you know, the, the left brain, let's make some money, the right brain, let's make something that can win an award that can get that type of expression and personal validation. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's not easy, right? Um, w- one thing I think you, you have to recognize is subjugate your own ego, right? Your ego is not your friend in any of these situations. And so there are times when, um, I mean, I can remember one particularly when I, I, I needed one of the, the, uh, recording music leaders to, to be on board with something and I had tried to get them to come to this thing and you know, the whole series of events happened. And to which point he was sitting there and said, well, I, I never got an invite. Uh, now, there were two ways I could have gone back at that. Okay, here are the 10 emails that you received 